You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here in the seventh inning, the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yaspinski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead 3-2. Deep to left, Yastrzemski will not get it, it's a home run! A three-run home run for Bucky Dent, the Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club, you'd expect to hit a home run, just hit one into the screen, Bucky Dent. Hi there, everyone. I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep the Left with Bucky Dent. And this is our first one of 2021. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Along with me is Al Santaseri, the editor-in-chief of Yankees Magazines. Hey, Al. Hi, Bucky. Happy New Year. Yeah, we also got my other partner, Yankees Magazine deputy editor, John Schwartz. Happy New Year, and we're ready to roll, baby. Happy New Year to you guys. Good to be talking to you again. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of been like a little bit of a dead time, you know, to uh, kind of missed it. So we're getting ready to gear it up for a new year. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, talking to some more great players, uh, old timers, young timers, and just talk baseball and uh, get it rolling again. But I, I know it's a new year and we were just chatting a little bit about different things and we just wanted to talk about the, the new year last year maybe a little bit i'm glad it's gone you know i mean i'm hoping we don't have to go through what we did last year i've just been going back over my head of the last episode we did with cc sabathia and there were a lot of great episodes we had last year in our debut year of uh deep to left with bucky dent but man what a way to end the year that was just a guy who i know al you've spoken to cc plenty of times i've spoken to cc plenty of times but it was just such a real conversation that we had and you know, combining that with the documentary, it was a great way to end the year, I thought. And it's been it's been with me for the last, was it, three or four weeks since we had that conversation. I was really glad we got to do it on the show. I really enjoyed listening to your conversation with him, Bucky, because, you know, two now old-time Yankees, man, being really candid about their careers and their lives, and you know, not unlike what, what his documentary is, is all about. It's just uh, tremendous candor, and I could listen to it all day it was it was really it was really fun to hear you guys uh going at it there well i i think it, it was fun it was you know and it was really really interesting you know because you know he had opened up you know i saw the documentary before we did the we did the show and you know i, I think it was fun talking to him simply because I, I don't think people understand sometimes the pressures that you go through, you know, as an athlete trying to make it, you know, even when you do make it, you know, uh, to play it uh, in a big city like New York or, or Chicago or where he started out in Cleveland, what all the pressures that they that an athlete has on him. And uh, I just love talking to him and, and, and hearing him talk about, you know, not only the good times, but the troubled times and how he made it through it. And he persevered through it. And, and he's uh, he's doing great now. And here's the thing, a lot of the examples in that documentary and in that conversation are pretty extreme things. But I'll be honest, I mean, 
just the everyday conversations that I get to be a fly on the wall for, uh, you know, when you're talking to your old buddies from the game. Look, I follow baseball really closely. I know baseball really well, I think, but I didn't play <laughs> above high school, you know, so I, I, the stories that we get to hear you sharing with these guys, yeah, they don't always have to be so upsetting and disappointing and they don't have to be so scary. A lot of times it's just funny, but you know, the stuff that I've learned and gotten to experience by just being a part of this podcast and my hope is that people who listen to it are getting the same thing from. I, I just thought, you know, that was a great example of what we can do in the same way that when we spoke to Clint Frazier, it was, and when we spoke to Ron Guidry, it was, and Willie Randolph and Cal Ripken. And it, it just makes me excited for the year to come a, a, as we sit here in January, kind of wondering when we're going to start seeing some baseball news again. Uh, I thought that CC Sabathia documentary was a great kind of reset, if you will, for our baseball world. Well, I think that that's, you know, what we, we set out to do is, is to try and tell stories and, and have guys, you know, tell some of the things that people don't really hear. And sometimes it's stories that they've already, you know, told before. But, you know, that's what I'm looking for again this year, you know, is, is getting back and, and talking to more guys and, you know, t- letting them tell experiences, funny stories, you know, sad stories, whatever, you know, because, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, we want the, the listener to really, really enjoy uh, the stories and, and the things about baseball and some of the integral parts of baseball, you know, like we were talking about before the show started. You asked me if I ever had a chance to become a free agent. And I said, no, I was before that. I got traded to the Yankees, signed a three-year deal, then signed a five-year deal. And then I wound up retiring in 84 and going in and, you know, started my manager career in the minor leagues. But uh, I never got the experience in that, but I sure wish I would have. <laughs> <laughs> I think Catfish, uh, uh, my old teammate, uh, was was one that started it off in 75 when he, he signed with the Yankees. Uh, George uh, kind of kicked it off, I think, with him. Uh, do, what do you remember about because if you picture if you put yourself in the shoes of these guys right now, it's about a month from when you would expect pitchers and catchers to report during the off seasons when you were under contract or whatever. How closely were you following what your team was doing with with the names around you, or was it kind of just you show up uh, in February fifteenth and oh here's this guy and oh here's this guy and I didn't know we got him. Well, you know, back when I was with Chicago, you know, when I first came up in seventy three, you know, with spring training, it was kind of like that. I mean, in Chicago, you know, we had the big papers, but and you could keep up with it, you know, but we didn't have all the, you know, this, you know, internet and all the social media you have today where you can track every move. You know, we didn't have that. So times, sometimes you'd walk in the clubhouse in spring training and, you know, you go, Ooh, who's that guy over there? You know, and, you know, because we didn't <laughs> have the, <laughs> we didn't have the ability to know um, everybody that was joining the team. What a different world it is now. I mean, you know, besides knowing who joins the team, I mean, every single day of almost every offseason, maybe this one's a little bit different, Bucky, but it seems like in a normal offseason, there's a different rumor about the Yankees every single day. You know, how do you think this year, just with with kind of a different culture and the way things are so different, um, kind of a lack of news what do you think that must be like for the for the players on this team today? Just seeing such a stagnant, you know, kind of uh, off season. And I'll I'll interrupt you before I get started. Yeah. It's not just this team; it, it's all thirty teams around the the league right now. Yeah, I think there's a you know a lot of hey, what's happening? You know, I mean, are we going to get this guy back? Are we going to resign this guy? You know, I mean, who's going to be new that's coming in? And, um, it, it's been very very quiet, but you know. Uh, like John and I were talking about earlier, you know, it's uh, uh, you're waiting. It seems like we're waiting for the first domino to fall, you know, the first big guy to sign. And then I think it'll kind of 
pick up a little bit, but uh, uh, I'm sure that they're kind of just sitting back waiting, you know, as they, you know, do their work to get ready to go spring training. Because right now, when it's, when the year turns, turns over into a new year, man, you start gearing it up and start getting yourself ready and your mind ready uh, to go to spring training. We saw last year, the ramp up in spring training and then stoppage, everything stopped and they had to ramp up again. You know, if you put yourself back into the body of, you know, like a 25 year old, very successful baseball player, how difficult do you think it is right now as we sit on? And look, for all we know, spring training camps are going to open on February 15th and everything's going to be quote unquote normal, 2021 style normal, but maybe camps are going to open. We don't know, but maybe not. And how hard do you think it is right now to be figuring out how to be optimizing your pre-spring training workouts to get to that point where you're ready because i know in your case you guys a lot of times showed up to spring training not ready you use those first few weeks of spring training to get ready whereas now those guys show up to spring training a month two months two and a half months into their programs you know that was a big thing you know as we went to spring training to get in shape and the whole mentality of that has really changed in the last probably 10, 15, even when I was managing the minor leagues, you know, guys were changing their, what they did in the off season, you know, but, you know, back when I was playing, you know, we worked in the, in the wintertime. So, you know, they went to spring training to get in shape and, and that's what it was used for. And they broke us in that way, you know, when we started playing in games and stuff like that. Well, it's totally different now because, these guys make so much money today. A lot of them have their own batting cages and their own, you know, uh, workout facilities right in their house. So it's easy for them. You know, they just, they just do their work at, at home, you know, and have personal trainers that come over and train them. So, you know, getting ready is a lot different than, um, back when, when I, when I was playing. And the other thing, the other thing that, uh, is like spring training now. I mean, you see, even when I was in the minor leagues, uh, my last few years managing, you, you see a difference in when teams start bringing guys in, younger players. They start bringing them in sooner, you know, trying to trying to get them ready and and work on things because instruction league is, was took a total totally different avenue than when I went to instructional league, you know. So now they start bringing them in a little bit earlier, start gearing them up. Guys that have been hurt, they bring them in a little bit earlier. So it gives them a little more time to get themselves in shape. So that's the other phase of the game that I think has really changed also. What were those first couple weeks of, or you know, of spring training like for you guys? You know, I know you talk about getting sore, in shape. When- sore. <laughs> Very <laughs> <Yeah>. sore. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, what's like a, a, a normal day in the first week or two? Like how many hours are you at the facility? What are you guys doing besides the regular workouts? We'd always get to the bar- ballpark early, you know. And uh, like I said, you know, the training methods were totally different than, than today. You know, we go through our, you know, stretching and this, do our fundamentals, basically what they do today. It's just that we didn't, we didn't really spend as much time at the ballpark on the field as the guys do today. You know, they come, they hit early because we didn't have cages. We didn't have indoor cages to hit in, you know. Um, we didn't have those kind of facilities. So, you know, we did our work while we we're on the field and, you know, spring training was, the, you know, first couple of weeks, it was kind of, you know, Relax, but then when you started playing games, you really started gearing yourself and your mind, you know, ready to, to play in the games, you know, to, you know, stretch yourself out. You know, first week you'd play three, four innings, then, you know, you know, in the middle part, you start stretching yourself out to where, you know, the last week you're playing, uh, nine innings. And, and I know today they still protect players where they don't really go nine innings, 
you know, but um, that's that's the way we went about it. You know, we we uh, we did it a, a totally different way. One of the cool experiences I've gotten to have over the years, which, you know, Al, we were just discussing on the Yankees Magazine podcast, what makes this year so different is the lack of travel that we're doing and the lack of ability to spend some off-season time with these guys. But one thing that I've gotten to witness firsthand, you mentioned you know, that these players have their facilities and these players have their own equipment and things like that. And that's definitely true for a lot of the guys post-free agency, but... The interesting thing that I've gotten to see is going to like the Dominican and watching what the guys do there, where, you know, you can hang out with Luis Severino at 6 a.m. as he's running around a track in this like big public park in Santo Domingo. You know, he's this at the time, like, I guess, a three-time all-star or something like that. And he's just out there with all the people before their work day and, and things of that nature. Whereas, the, you know, then you go hang out with a Carlos Beltran, let's say, and he's got, you know, this giant home gym at his place in Puerto Rico. So it's, it's a little different. I'm curious for you, though, obviously, yeah, you were working and you weren't, you know, hitting every day and all these things. But what what were you doing to stay in shape? Were you running? Were you, you know, all these things? How, how were you making sure that like you didn't show up, you know, 20 pounds overweight in February? Right. Well, that's what I did. I ran mostly, but I ran through like the neighborhood, dodging mm-hmm. dogs and everything on change, you know, <laughs> hoping I'd get bit. But that's kind of like what you did because, you know, when you're working, when you're working eight hours a day and I, I was working as an oiler on a crane um, back then, you know, when I got home, you know, I was like tired. But, you know, as I got closer to the spring train, I forced myself to go out and run. When I became a, pretty much a regular after my rookie year, my my second year, you know, they would tell me, you know, that we want you to come a little heavy this year. We want you to come five, six pounds heavy because we're going to, you know, you're going to need that weight to go through the season. So, you know, I would try and gain a few pounds to go. But like, like I said, you know, we did most of our running through the streets, you know, because we didn't have those kind of facilities. We just, you know, we just uh, kind of trained ourselves. I didn't really play a whole lot of catch or take batting practice, you know, because we didn't have the places to go and do it. When later on in my, you know, playing years when I had my baseball school, then it was easy. You know, I'd go down to my baseball school and, you know, I had people hit ground balls, throw batting practice and, and do the normal things that you do to get ready for spring training. But before that, it was a, it was a little bit tough. And I remember talking to Gaylord Perry, you know, he didn't pick up a baseball until he got to spring training. You know, I mean, they pitched so many, he, they, they went there and that's what they did. Got their arm in shape. You know, they wait to, to start throwing when they got there. It's so crazy. We see these guys first bullpen in February and it looks like October with the intensity they're throwing with. (laughs) The the gun lights up, right? Oh yeah, (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You could see a lot of guys. I mean, uh, the first day, you know, they, they throw their bullpens and then by the time they throw batting practice and stuff like that, you know, then you could see their, you know, the kind of tail off a little bit, you know, and then all of a sudden they pick it back up and uh, start really get ready for the last couple of weeks of spring training. But, you know, spring training was just, you know, it got to be so long, you know, I mean, uh, it was like, okay, I'm, I played, I played enough. Let's get the season going. And then you started worrying about, you know, I just don't want to get hurt. You know, I mean, I just want to get through spring training, be healthy coming out of the spring and, and uh, get ready for a long year. What were your emotions like, you know, this time of year, it's January, you know, middle of January now, obviously you go through, you know, the holidays, Christmas, New Year's, I think for all of us, we're kind of immersed in all that, especially with, with young kids and, and things. But when you get past the holidays, I know, you know, we, another thing we talked about on our Yankees Magazine podcast, just from a publications perspective, how 
how much work we're doing coming out of New Year's and, and how hard we're working and how excited we are for the season, that kind of switch kind of goes off in your head where you're now just really, really excited about the baseball season. It, when did you start really feeling it? Actually, after New Year's, you know, uh, like I said, when I was working and I had to work um, for the first three or a couple years, you know, that I was in the big leagues. But then when I finally started making good money, you know, January, you know, after the New Year's, when you start, okay, now I got so many days before spring training, so I'm going to start to slowly gear myself up and, and try and get my body ready to go to spring training. So, you know, I, I think a lot of guys, you know, um, start turning the dial up a little bit, you know, after the new year. But, you know, like I said, you know, these guys today, you know, they train pretty much year round, you know, they have the ability to do that. So um, that's a plus for them. So by the time they get to spring training, they're, they're, al they're almost ready to, you know, to play nine innings. I mean, they're, they're in good, good condition. It's a big difference. Pitchers obviously need the six weeks. How long would you say a shortstop needed to get from showing up day one to being ready for opening day? Three weeks. Three weeks, I yeah. Mean, yeah, That's three weeks is about, you know, I, I'd start playing, you know, Chuck Tanner had a different philosophy when I was a rookie. Um, you know, now, you know, some guys only play three innings. When I was a rookie, he wanted me to play as much as I could behind every pitcher. So right from the get-go in spring training, I, I played five innings. You know, I started playing five innings, and then middle part of the spring, I would stretch out to six, seven innings, and then – you know, pretty much the last eight days, uh, I was pretty much playing nine innings because that was his thought. You know, he wanted me to play behind every pitcher and, you know, get as much playing time in spring training so that I could understand what they're trying to do, move me in defenses and things like that. So um, that, that, was, that was his philosophy, and that's the way he went about it. This is something that's always been a little strange to me, so indulge me for a second, if you will. Because being a shortstop, or really being any position player doesn't seem like it's that taxing on your body in the day to day. I mean, obviously the work to be able to be an elite hitter, the work to, you know, get your first step right, everything like that. I, I get that there's a lot of work that goes on to do that, but I've always kind of found it a little funny when it's like, okay, you know, a right fielder, okay, he's going to get one at bat for the first, you know, five spring training games, and then we're going to move him up to two. And I've always in my head kind of thought like, I understand very clearly the difference between throwing 25 pitches versus throwing 50 pitches versus throwing 75, all that stuff. I'm not sure I really understand the difference for a for an elite athlete of standing out in the field for two innings compared to four innings. Is there that big difference in early March? Like, <laughs> Is it that different on your body? <laughs> well, what they're doing is they're trying to break them in slow so no, nobody gets hurt. That's the whole thing. They're I get trying to keep it. them. Yeah. But you, no, I mean, really, a lot of guys could go out there and play three innings, you know, in the first game in, in, or four innings, and it's not going to, it's not going to affect them because you remember, you know, you're, you're taking, you know, you're, you got 10 days, I think it is, before your first game. And, um, you know, you're doing a lot of, batting practice, standing around, you know, um, doing your fly balls and things like that. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of never really understood that either, you know, that, you know, you go up there for one, one at bat. But, you know, now they want to get the other kids to play, get them in games and things, and things like that. That part I get. You want to get the young kids at bats. That part makes sense to me. This idea that, though, like Aaron Judge isn't ready yet for six innings in the field, I've always kind of been like, what does that mean? He's not ready to chase after 
four balls as opposed to three balls. Like, <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's that huge of a difference. <laughs> they got to get them off their feet. You know, that's the thing. They, they got to get them off their feet because they've been standing around for a long time and, in, 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 you know, before the games and stuff like that. No, the, the whole mindset of that's changed. You no, know, you know, you're, you're, you're joking. That to me, when I'm in spring training games, I always love, instead of watching, you know, the pitcher and the batter for the first few games I see in spring training, I love watching the outfielders who are just kind of sitting there trying to stay engaged on every pitch for the first time in five, six months, whatever, because your mind has to wander. You have to teach your mind not to. I think that's part of the spring training. No, is like getting your brain ready to just like be focused on every single pitch as it's coming in. I think that that to me seems a lot harder than standing out there for a few innings well, or getting a second at bat compared to a first at bat. Believe it or not, you're right. You know, when I was a sh- when I started going out taking ground balls, you know, one of my things was I didn't want anybody around me because I wanted to start to get my mindset and concentrate on ground balls. And uh, Al Monchak told, taught me different things to do to, to get that focus back, you know, like count to hops, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, work on balls off the bat, you know, to get that read off the bat and things like that. So, you know, when I was out in my position, I always said it was my office and I didn't want anybody around me, you know, so uh, I, I was mostly get trying to get locked into to, to taking ground balls, you know, trying not to bobble the ball, you know, trying to read the hops and, and, and do certain things like that. And then after I did all that, then I would go talk and you know, joke around with the guys and stuff, stuff like that. But while I was on the field, I, I was trying to get not only my hands right, my body, because taking ground balls, believe it or not, is wears your body down. I mean, you get sore those first few days uh, of playing because it's the adrenaline going and stuff like that. But that's more uh, what I try to do mentally um, after I started to really, you know, start to get in shape was to bear down. I also imagine, though, like it's one thing when you're just having a catch with buddies, but if you're standing there at shortstop taking grounders, you don't have a 60% throw to first base. If you're if you're doing it, you're firing the ball to first base. I am at, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I, I think it's probably pretty hard to regulate that when you're actually on the field as opposed to throwing on the lines. Well, you do. You throw, you know, you're going to throw a few balls full out. You know, what I try to do is I try to get into system. Um, I had a system where I took so many balls at me, so many to my left, so many to my right, so many top balls, and so many double play balls. And what I tried to do is I tried to, you know, control how many balls I threw a day and how many balls I threw hard a day, you know, because, again, it goes back to when you're concentrating on catching a ball. Now, when I throw the ball, I'm concentration, I'm concentrating on trying to get the right rotation of the ball towards first base, you know, hmm. like four seams instead of a, you know, two seamer that sinks or it takes off. Now I'm trying to get my throwing my arm right and stretched out to throw a ball from the hole, to throw a ball running up the middle, off balance and stuff like that. So those are the other things that you're working on um, to try and get yourself ready to play also. And in those like 10 days before there's games, what, like in your time as a player, how many ground balls are you taking on each of those days? Is it hundreds? Is it tens? Is it like, what's a, what's a normal range, I guess? The first few days, I would take anywhere from 50 to 75, you mm-hmm. know, um, some days a little bit more, some days maybe if I didn't feel as good, I wouldn't throw as much, on, you know, um, on a day where I feel a little stiff or something like that. But, you know, on an average, you know, I would take anywhere from 75 to 100 balls, 
you know, because you're in, in that you're moving left, right. You're taking, you're working on top. You were also working on double plays, you know, with, with Willie, you know, getting feeds from him, you know, throwing the ball to him and, and, you know, just trying to get yourself physically ready. And, and I'm, I'm telling you the, the, the stiffness in your legs and your back and stuff like that from bending over, um, it, it, it gets to you. It wears you down. I think one thing that's going to be really interesting for me this year is, you know, we saw it to some degree with the summer camp last year, but I feel like when that happened, it was so in the thick of, it, it, it was still kind of new what we were all going through in some regards. And it was very scary. I mean, not that, not that it's not scary now, but you know what I mean? There was, there were, there was mm-hmm. so much uncertainty, you know, and Al, you and I know just from observing it closely, not, not, you know, participating at Bucky the way you did spring training though, is about camaraderie and it's about, you know, getting back with the guys and everything like that. And, and best case scenario for spring training 2021, it's still going to be very compartmentalized in a lot of ways. They're still not going to be allowed to probably go out to dinner together and all that stuff. There, there's going to be really big limits to the way they're able to interact. How tough do you think that is, whether it's for the new guys on the team whoever those new guys are, or just, you know, the young players and the old players and the mentorship relationships that always get built during spring training, you know, how much do you think gets lost in a full spring training environment where you're just not able to take a guy out to dinner and chat with him and stuff like that? Well, that, that's, that's a tough one, you know, because you, 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 the whole part of it is in spring training is to, you know, to meet new guys, you know, to learn their personalities, learn if you could joke around with them, you know, to, to, like you say, to go out to dinner. So, you know, not having that, that, that's a big part of, of a team, you know, you want to grow that. Um, I remember, you know, my first time I came into, you know, with the Yankees, I signed and I came over from uh, the White Sox, I didn't have spring training with them. So when I walked in the clubhouse, you know, walking in for the first time, not only being scared of, you know, here I am with the Yankees, my team that I always wanted to play for, but now I'm with all these stars. They just came out of the World Series and I played against them, but I don't know a lot of them. And the manager, Billy Martin, getting used to a new manager walking in there. So uh, I kind of experienced that. So, you know, having spring training, and being able, you know, to, to know guys and have fun with them and, and know to get serious and not get serious and, you know, who you can, you know, joke around with a little more, uh, than you can with the other guys. That's valuable. You know, that's so valuable. And I, and I got to give these guys a lot of credit. You know, I mean, they went with a mindset and they got a little bit of it last year before they shut it down. You know, they got to get a lot of that and then they shut it down and, um, you know, they weren't able to, you know, to do it during the season where I think that that's important too. But at least in spring training last year, they they got to do that at the beginning before they did get shut down. But that's valuable. You bring that kind of point up, and I think it's a great point and, and really fun to talk about. So you're coming to the Yankees um, after spring training is over. You don't have that that time to, to build that type of camaraderie, even as a new player. Who was the most welcoming and who was a little, you know, not to say cold, but a little harder to get used to being around and, and, and vice versa? You know, Nettles and uh, Thurman and, you know, they, you know, Catfish, you know, they were all good. You know, the guys that were a little chilly were the guys, you know, that I was, I was a shortstop. I'm coming over, I'm taking their position. But, you know, they um, later on, they became good about it. But, you know, it's just coming in and... You know, to a new team walking in for the first time, getting ready 
for opening day the next day and really not knowing anybody. You know, I had the big eyes, you know, I had Billy, I had Yogi, I had Bobby Cox, you know, I had Elston Howard, you know, uh, uh, Dick Hauser. And then uh, along with all the guys that were in, in that locker room, you know, uh, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, Thurman Munson, you know, I mean, it was like, oh, I'm just going to zip it and keep my mouth shut for a while until I kind of get the feel of, you know, who these guys were. So, um, but, you know, uh, it's exciting, but it's a little spooky also at first. You were obviously, when you were in New York, it was one of those t- time periods when the Mets weren't super relevant in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there have been other years when you could really see kind of that rivalry at its best in some senses. I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of sense right now with the new ownership in Queens that the Mets are now competing kind of in the same pool, in a, in a sense, for free agents that the Yankees are. Do you think that's the type of thing that players find fun, that idea of being in a two-team city and having both teams kind of going for it at the same time? Yeah, I mean, it makes a rivalry. It makes it interesting. It makes it interesting for the fans. I mean, look, sure. you know, look at New York when they had all three teams here. You know, who was the best center fielder? You know, who was this? Who's better than this and that? You know, I mean, even when I played in Texas, it was the Rangers and the Astros, you know, um, who, who had you know, Nolan Ryan, you know, this guy, that guy. In, in New York, it, in the Mets, it was the same way. It was really the same way when, when I played there. You know, the Mets um, – you know, they were a team, you know, they had some great players on it. And it was always a battle, and, and especially for George when we played him in that cross rival before, um, you know, interleague started. We play him in, in oh, man. The, it was the like Mayor's Cup or, games? Oh, God, that was a do or die <laughs> game, man. I've seen some guys <laughs> get shipped out the next day if they didn't play well in that game, you know. But, um, no, I mean, it, it's fun to have a rivalry like that, uh, you know, to, to talk about, you know, who's better. And, and honestly, like, you know, you see the, the Mets pick up Francisco Lindor mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm making the presumption right here. Maybe it's incorrect that uh, Glaber Torres is the Yankees starting shortstop on opening day. And you now figure, you know, these are two young, exciting players uh, at a prime position in the city of New York. And even though they're on different teams in different leagues, Francisco Lindor, I wonder if he's more a part of Glaber Torres's life now than he was when he was on the team that the Yankees played in the playoffs last year. Well, sure, you have pride. You know, you want to be the best at what you do and at your position. You know, so now you got some competition competition on the other side. You know, you just like you want to be the best, and uh, I'm sure that you know the and, and the fans love it. You know, oh, you know this guy, he's better than him. You know, he, you know, he does this, he does that. You know, and 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 that's what it's all about. You know, that's what makes the game fun, and uh, um, I, I, I think. You need you need that you need that to to get people excited about. You know, I'm glad you brought up fans because I have a I have an interesting question. I, I think you know when you talk about inner city rivals, whether it's the the Mets and the Yankees or interstate rivals, like you talked about the Astros and the and the Rangers or, or whatever it may be. Um, you listen to talk radio in New York City or in and around New York City, and you hear fans, especially this offseason, you know, the Mets are, are making a little bit of a splash, and there's fans calling in, and Yankees fans, you know, seem a little less worried about the Mets. Mets fans, I think, because of their history not being that significant as the Yankees, seem to have a little bit more care about what the Yankees are doing, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I've often thought and, and talked to other players about this that, you know, a lot of that rivalry 
is not on the field. It's, you know, no. it's more in the spectrum of the fans. And again, in this case, I think it's always been a little bit more, you know, the kind of the narrative, especially this offseason, is, you know, Yankees fans don't care what kind of splash the Mets are making. Mets fans care about the Yankees fans and their, their organization, maybe a little insecurity there or whatever. But from a player perspective, how much did you care if you beat the Mets or lost to the Mets as opposed to beat the, you know, um, you know, Texas Rangers uh, when you were with the Yankees or lost to the Texas Rangers? You know, like I said, you know, we didn't have the inner league, so we didn't play the Mets, but other than the mayor's trophy game. Yeah. You know? But but you always had pride. You, you you wanted to win. But, you know, being that they weren't in our league, you know, you know, and it's in spring training, so it's it's not like it counts other than mm. it counts to the fans and it counts big time to, to Mr. Steinbrenner, you know. <laughs> but I, I went through it a little bit when I was with Chicago, too, you know, with the Cubs. You know, the Cubs, the White Sox, and, um, you know, when I first came up, you know, the, that's when Dick Allen was the MVP and he got the big splash. He signed his first three-year deal for a lot of money. And then on the other side, you know, had Ron Santo and Fergie Jenkins and, you know, Don Kessinger and all those guys. And it was it was always, you know, north side, south side, you know. So I experienced a little bit of that. So, um, you know, and, and then coming to New York, you know, Mets, Yankees, same kind of situation. And like you say, you know, the, uh, you know, the Mets, I, I think you – you know, anytime you put on a uniform and walk on a field, it's competitive, no matter what you're doing. You know, you, you, you want to win. And But I think it's, you know, right now in the offseason, it's always the fans. You know, they're more excited. You know, look who we got. Look who they got. You know, and uh, we got this guy. And it's a bragging rights type thing. And, and, and try to you try to get them excited for, for the season and, and give them some hope that you think that their team can win. But I'll say this, and maybe it's projection. I get the impression right now that if you look at – just to use the, the same example again, a guy like Aaron Judge. I think Aaron Judge has deep-seated animosity toward the Red Sox and, and feels that rivalry very emotionally. I don't know that he feels that same way about those games against the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it registers in the same way that it does for the fans, and I think you're right about that. And I guess that's just a, as good a place as any to leave it because I think the one thing that we can look forward to, hopefully, in 2021 is – seeing fans back because I mean, I, I think a lot about the American league division series last year, Yankees versus Rays out in San Diego. And it's just, you know, I, I just, I so sincerely hope that we are sometime soon, whenever it is back to a place where the big games on the Yankees calendar are happening in front of Yankees fans in Yankee stadium. And who knows where we're going to be three months from now uh, around opening day, who knows where we're going to be, eight months from now but uh i know for me at least all i hope is that whatever emotions there are and whatever thing whatever cheers or booze you're hearing in 2021 it's from actual people and not from a guy controlling a (laughs) sound machine uh making making sounds for us well i think you you know the players we and and as fans we need to have people in the ballpark you know last year was uh, uh unbelievable year it was a totally different year and what the guys went through i i think was amazing but the couple things that i think that we learned is that when you go into playoff games and world series games you want to play in front of your hometown people you know the people that 
you know, cheer for me and are, that are electric. And, and baseball needs that. They can't go another year without without having people in the stands. I think it's too important to the players. I agree with you, but I'm, I'm optimistic, Bucky, like, like you just talked about. I mean, it might not be at the beginning, and, and that's obvious, you know, obviously the case based on this kind of race against time to get enough people vaccinate, vaccinated and, and all that stuff. But, and I've said this to John a lot, I feel very optimistic, especially when you look back on the last year and where we were last May or June and kind of where we are now, you know, we have a vaccine. Any, anytime you have to do something as big and as important as vaccinating, you know, the world basically is not going to be something that's quick. It's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be something that's done without some type of hiccups and some that are, you know, more significant than others. But it makes me just excited to think about this summer, you know, maybe not this spring, but this summer. And I, you know, from a perspective of, of being a publications guy with the team, not a player with the team, but a publications guy with the team, I miss it all. I miss being in Yankee Stadium on a hot Saturday afternoon and watching baseball in front of a huge crowd or any crowd at all. And I even miss being with the team in the postseason on the road and hearing, you know, the, the, the crowd noise, you know, in some road stadium go from deafening to silent when a guy like Labor Torres hits a home run for the Yankees, you know, and uh, just kind of hearing it from both sides. You know, you, you, you forget how much you miss just the rush of being in even, even in a road ballpark and with all the adversity that you see your, your, your own players facing and all that other stuff. I, I miss it all and I, and I crave it all and I can't wait for it all and I think it's all coming in 2021. Well, you, you need that electricity. You need that for that fan, you know, where they, you know, they start cheering with two strikes, you know, and, um, they get up on their feet and they're, they're dying, you know, for that matchup three, two with the bases loaded, you know, and, 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 you know, the fans need that. The players need that. And, uh, that's, that's what makes the game so great, you know, is, is having people in your hometown and, and cheering for you and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, and that's what we need to get back. And, you know, I was talking to a couple guys the other day and, and I think that, you know, baseball, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what rules and things like that. And we got to be careful in the game because, you know, we need, you know, when you were growing up and I was growing up, you needed to be able to, you know, go and, and see, okay, who's, who's pitching today? You got Catfish Hunter against Nolan Ryan. Oh, I gotta, I gotta be at that game. You know, I want to go to that game. And, and because you know that those two guys are going to go neck and neck probably for nine innings, you know, and I, I think we got to be careful with the game in that we're, we're losing a little bit of, of that because you're losing those kind of matchups because, you know, when you see, you know, guys only going four or five innings, you lose the electrical part of of the game where you're coming down to the ninth inning and you got a catfish trying to strike out a guy in the ninth inning to get a complete game or trying to get the last out and stuff like that. I think baseball's got to be careful because we're 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 losing a little bit of that and that's important to to keep in the game. I think you're right. I think you're both right. I think that we have you know, a lot of great stuff that we're looking forward to as we uh, yeah. hit this reset episode and a lot of stuff. Look, I mean, you know, there there are the game has the, has problems it needs to solve in some regards. And I guess if you want to bring it full circle. So does the world right now. So <laughs> <laughs> every, everyone, has, everyone has a little work to do over the next few months. A little yeah, homework. <laughs> but uh, Al, Bucky, this was a fun way to start the year. 
uh, I know that it'll be fun next time when we have uh, another, uh, whether it's a player or anyone else we, we get to talk to. But it was good to just talk to you guys right now, just kind of resetting and talking a little baseball. Agreed. We love talking baseball with you guys. And uh, hopefully we'll line up some guys that will really be interesting and uh, have some great stories. And uh, uh, it'll be a lot of fun again this year also. Well, we will speak to you uh, in a couple weeks, Bucky. Um, looking forward to it and go Yankees and let's see what they do. Let's see what exactly. they do. And for everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of deep to left with Bucky Dent. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees magazine podcast network. If you liked hearing from Bucky and us today, you should also check out the Yankees magazine podcast, where we break down some of our written stories from each new magazine issue. And of course, talk Yankees baseball. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email. Podcast at yankees.com. And for Yankees Magazine subscribers, we're about midway through uh, the spring issue of Yankees Magazine. So it's pretty exciting. We're back in production and uh, we can't wait to bring you a full year of content. If you're not subscribed yet, there's no better time than right now because we are still running our holiday offers, which include incredible offers like free tickets and commemorative issues and even a chance to participate in a segment in the Yankees Magazine podcast. So head to yankees.com slash publications or call 800-GO-YANKS to learn more about these offers. And if you'd like to see our content online, you can get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine and you can follow us on twitter at yanks magazine give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce that's it see you next time and go yanks hi this is luke Voigt. if you like what you're hearing why don't you rate and review us and while you're at it tell your friends to subscribe thanks so much and go yankees